you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. Man, that was a powerful song. Honestly, I haven't heard that one before, and that, that is so powerful. And I love, too, something that Heather was saying in her prayer. Um, man, I don't know how people do it without his goodness. Amen without that peace that passes all understanding and the transforming power of Jesus Christ in our life. And he is so, so good, isn't he? We are so blessed to have such a good, good daddy. Um, so if you're just now joining us, we've been diving into the book of, of Judges for the past few weeks. We've been going through this series. And today um, we're going to be kind of catching up where we, somewhat where we left off last week. We're going to be diving into the life of a man named Jephthah. And something that we have to understand about this dude named Jephthah is this dude straight up had some weak theology, very weak theology. That's actually the main thing that we're going to be focusing in on today. The topic, the title of the sermon is weak theology. This guy had a misunderstanding of who God truly is, what he had done for him, and who he had called him to be. And as a result of that, it led him to do some extremely dumb things, like very, very horrible, dumb things. And and rather than um, getting to this story, reading about Jephthah and judging this dude, which is so easy to do, what we should instead do every time that we come to any kind of a story or any kind of text in the Bible, including Jephthah's life, it should act almost like this mirror. And it should kind of prompt this question of like, you know what, how is how's my theology? How is my understanding about God? How is my theology? And, and the sad reality is for so many of us as followers of Christ, as, as Christians, when it comes to words like, like theology, this big word, it's like, man, that's a big word like Walmart or something. What in the world? You know, a lot of us, when we hear this word, honestly, a lot of us don't really know what that truly means. You know, when we think of things like theology, we think, man, that's for those people, like those pastors and those church leaders, you know, or those people in seminary, right? The professors and students and stuff, right? That's for those people, right? Like, I, I do my thing. I go to church a couple times every, you know, a month, every once in a while, throw up a prayer, you know, during meals, open up the Bible sometimes. But that theology stuff, man, that's for those guys, those church leaders and pastors. But the reality is, guys, and what we're going to find out today is that theology is for everyone. That's our big idea today. Theology is for everyone. And when we don't have a, a strong theology, when we don't have a good understanding of who God truly is, what he's honestly done for us and who he is calling us to be, then just like Jephthah, it will lead us to do some horribly, horribly dumb thing. And as a result of that, it'll lead us, lead us to cause a lot of pain and a lot of heartache in our lives, but then also in the lives of the people around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you for your love. We thank you for this relationship that you invite us into with you. We thank you for this gospel message that we can see everything in your word, this grand book called the Bible that we see all these other smaller books in. We see this gospel message interwoven into all of this, pointing us back to the cross, pointing us back to you, Jesus, and what you've done. And I pray that that if anybody here today has never responded to this invitation as you stand in the door and you knock, I pray that you would perform the miracle that only you can perform. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just break chains. I pray that you would open eyes in this place. And if anybody does not know you, I pray that they would come to a saving knowledge of you and understand this is not about what we've done, what we can ever do. It's about what you've done in our place, Jesus in our place. 
And I pray for that miracle of salvation today. I pray also for all of us, as we always pray for all of us as, as followers of Christ that have already uh, been invite, invited you into this relationship, stepped into this relationship with you. I pray that you continue to make us and mold us and grow us closer to you because this is, this is an ever-changing growth process as we continue to move in your direction. And I pray that over this place that you would you would just fill us with your spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just help us to fill you tangibly in this place. I pray that you draw us closer to you, closer to each other, and I pray that you use us as a lighthouse to so many people that don't know you in this community around us. We thank you and we praise you, and I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so today, if you've got your Bible, uh, go ahead, break it open to Judges chapter 11, or if you've got the church app, talked about that before, um, we've either Apple or Android accessible, we've got the text as well as a place to take notes, so you can access that, Judges chapter 11 on that as well. So as you're turning there, Judges chapter 11, again, we're going to be diving into the story of a guy named Jephthah, but before we do, I'm going to give you kind of a quick backstory to catch us up to speed. Because if you remember last week, we left off um, in the middle of Judges chapter 10, okay? So I'm going to give you a little backstory, catch us up to speed, and, and a couple of reminders as well. So if you remember Judges chapter 10, we were, at, we were there last week, uh, we talked about the Israelites, how the same crazy cycle is playing itself out all over again, like that same dumb song that we all love to hate, stuck on repeat over and over and over again. Because once again, they're turning their backs on God, essentially forgetting all about him. And once again, it lands them to the same place that turning your back on God will always land us in, which is these self-made pits of, of just shame, guilt, despair, gloom and doom, and oppression. Because they are now oppressed by this people group, the, the Ammonites. And we're going to read about that here in a moment. And it leads them to cry out to God time and time again. And they do this again, Judges chapter 10. We see the same scenes playing itself out all over again. But here's the thing. When they cry out to God for help, and he raises up these judges or delivers to save them, thus the name of judges, what we have to understand is they weren't doing this out of repentance. In other words, they weren't doing it because they were sorry for the sin. They were doing it because they were sorry because of the repercussions of the sin. There's a difference. See, in other words, they wanted what God had to offer, not God himself. That They wanted the good things, like, hey, God, bless us, provide for us, protect us. When everything else around us fails us, we can call out to you, and you can, like, give us the good stuff. You can protect us and give us strength, and you can protect us from all these people around us. But when it comes to the commitment and to the relationship, they didn't want to have any part in that. See, they really wanted their own cosmic vending machine that they could run to whenever they wanted but here's the problem with that. This is what we talked about last week. God is not our cosmic vending machine. He's not our cosmic vending machine. And so we have to stop treating him as if he is. And the other thing we have to understand is God knows our hearts and he knows our motives. Catch this better than we do. Better than we do. And so he wasn't fooled by this. When the Israelites continue to do this, he's not fooled by this. And so they're crying out to him for help all over again. Same dumb cycle on repeat over and over and over again. And so he says, you know what? Hey, what? look, if you want to do your own thing, if you want to turn away from me, if you want to you know, worship all these other fake false gods, if you want to you know, raise up somebody, we talked about Abimelech, some other dude to be your king rather than me, then that's on you. You can do that. But here's the thing, I'm not going to be treated like you're, I'm your sugar daddy on the side when you need something, right? Or, or, or like a cosmic vending machine that you can just go to whenever, you know, times get hard. I'm not going to do that. So you go ahead. If, you, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But I'm not going to be a part of this. And we stopped there. We talked about the fact, again, that God is not our cosmic vending machine. 
But if you keep on going down the text, and this will kind of catch us up to speed as we dive into chapter 11, we see this scandalous display of God's just reckless grace, mercy, and love for us. Because even though he's fed up with these people, and even these people, they, they have done this time and time again, turned their backs on God. They put themselves in their own self-made pits. We still see in the text, it tells us that God becomes weary of their misery. He becomes weary of their misery. Why? Because of his scandalous grace, love, and mercy for these people. And so let's check out what happens next. Judges chapter 11, starting with verse 1. It says, Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a valiant warrior, but he was a son of a prostitute, and Gilead was his father. Gilead's wife bore him sons, and when they grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you will have no inheritance in our father's family because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Then some worthless men joined Jephthah and went on raids with him. So first off, this dude, he had a horrible upbringing. I mean, extremely rough, rough upbringing. He was treated like an outcast by his own family members. And, and by the way, in the text, when it says that, that his family didn't want him to have any um, share in his father's inheritance whatsoever, dude, that would be horrible in today's world. But if you rewind time, you go back to that day and age, that is a huge deal. The inheritance bit, man, that was huge in that day and age, in that culture. What they were essentially communicating to Jephthah is like, dude, you're dead to us. You're not even part of our family. In fact, we wish you were dead. Why don't you go off somewhere and just die? We want nothing to do with you. And they completely turned their backs on this guy, their own family. And as you think about that, man, like what does that remind you of? Who else does that remind you of? Maybe the Israelites and what they keep on doing to God time and time again by turning their backs on God, the same way that they're doing this with Jephthah, completely turning their backs on their own family, their own flesh and blood, and treating them horribly. But the thing is, what we're going to find out as we keep on fast-forwarding through this text is that God is going to use Jephthah's rough upbringing, the struggles and the pains from his past, catch this, to prepare him for the future, to prepare him for the road that lays ahead. Because if it wasn't for Jephthah's rough upbringing, then guys, he would have never had the skills, the knowledge, and the experience to become the leader and the fierce, the valiant warrior that the text tells us that Israel was going to need. Because when, when this family turns their back on him, and this dude essentially kicking him out of the neighborhood, saying, we wish you were dead, he goes to this place called Tob, and he becomes almost like, almost like this gangster boss kind of guy is what he becomes. And he develops these like skills, I mean mad skills. He becomes a great leader. He becomes extremely good at fighting. He becomes, um, you know, a great military tactician. He becomes really bad, and not just in the bad sense, although he did bad things, but just the kind of dude that people didn't mess with. He became notorious, made a name for himself. He was extremely good at what he did, all as a result of his harsh upbringing, of his past. And we're going to get to that a little bit later as we keep on going in the text. But first, I want to hit on something, because a lot of times, man, when we go through hard times in life, when we go through pains in the past, hard circumstances, a lot of times we tend to look at those hardships and the struggles in life through purely this, this lens of like negativity, right? Like, like everything about it is negative. Maybe it's something that happened in your past. Maybe it's something that you're going through right now. And we say things like, you know what? No good could ever come from that. 
Like, I can't believe that person did that to that other person or that person did that to me. Or can you believe what I'm going through? Nothing good could ever come from this. And it's just purely this lens of negativity. What we have to understand is, listen to me, God will use everything, everything, the good, the bad, and the in-between. He will use everything for our good and for his glory. Everything. No matter what you've been through in your past, no matter what you're going through now, currently, or no matter what you may go through in the future up ahead, he will use everything for good, catch this, if we surrender everything over to him. If we surrender everything over to him. He'll take that pain and the suffering that you've experienced in your past, and he'll transform that man into passion, into fuel for the road ahead to, to where you, he'll use those things that you've learned along the road to help you and to help other people. The struggles that you've faced, and, and we've been through a lot of these times, like the hard times in your life where it requires you to kind of think outside of the box, requires you to think on, on your toes, so to speak, in ways that you wouldn't have had to if you didn't go through that struggle. You guys know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's like with your finances, and you're having hard times with your finances. All of a sudden, you have to learn to start counting the pennies. And you have to learn like these different skills and how to, how to save money. Or maybe you've gone through like made bad decisions and addiction, things of that nature, like I did in my past. And then you give it over to God, and then he, he teaches you different skill sets and different knowledge. And what happens is you take that, that God uses that skill set, the experience, and the knowledge that you gain through those rough times, through the hardships and life, and he uses it to help you and to help other people in the future. And that's exactly what he's doing with Jephthah in this scene. He's using the things, the knowledge, the experience that Jephthah gained during the hardships, during the hard, rough times in his life to develop him into the leader and the warrior that he knew Israel was going to need. Check out what happens next, verse 4. It says, Sometime later, the Ammonites fought against Israel. When the Ammonites made war with Israel, the elders of Gilead went to uh, get Jephthah from the land of Tob. So now they're going back to get this guy that they essentially hated and wanted dead. Check out what they said. They said to him, come, be our commander, and let's fight the Ammonites. Jephthah replied to the elders of Gilead, didn't you hate me and drive me out of my father's family? Like, just to be a fly on the wall in this conversation, man. Why then have you come to me now when you're in trouble? Then they answered Jephthah, that's true, but now we turn to you. It's like they're trying to get out of this. Now we turn to you. Come with us. Fight the Ammonites, and you will become leader of all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to them, If you are bringing me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me, I will be your leader. The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord is our witness if we, do, if we don't do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead. The people made him their leader and commander, and Jephthah repeated all his terms and the presence of the Lord at Mizpah. So if you remember, again, at the beginning, we talked about how the same cycle repeating itself, the Israelites uh, turn their backs on God, lands them in the same place it always does, self-made pits, despair, gloom, doom, and oppression, oppressed by these people group, the Ammonites. And now these people are desperate. The Israelites are desperate, man, because in this pit, they're like, we cannot win this war, this battle on our own. We need help. And now they're going to Jephthah, this dude that they, they turned their backs on, right, to save them. And, and again, who does this remind you of? 
It's all these pictures of the same way that the Israelites keep on treating God by turning their backs on him, landing themselves in their self-made prisons, right, in pits in life, and then they cry out to him as soon as they want help. They're doing the same thing to Jephthah. And you see it in this text. He's like, dude, why are you coming to me now? Didn't you hate me? I mean, what is up with this? And now you need my help. I see how this is, right? And so here's the thing. Jephthah's willing to do this. He's willing to commit to this. And he's essentially saying, like, look, look I'll commit to this. Or I'll do this. I'll commit to this. This is a big deal, though. You've got to understand, I'm going to be putting my life on the line. I'm going to be putting all my boys' lives on the line over here. My, like, you know, basically, he's a gangster, you know, thug type of dude. So all my boys on the line, this is a big commitment. I'll commit to you, but here's the thing. I want you to commit to me in return. I want you to commit to me in return. And so they do. And they raise him up as their leader. They actually commit to him more than they would commit to God. But guys, this commitment on both sides, Jephthah committing to them, them committing to Jephthah, this is a picture of the kind of commitment that God longs for with us. And and more than just commitment, it's it's a relationship that God longs for with us. And Again, we talked about this last week. You, you go all the way to the beginning of this grander book called the Bible, all these smaller books in it. You go back to the very first book, Genesis, first couple of chapters. He put this neon sign there to tell us, hey, look, we're created for a relationship with God, but then also a relationship with other people from the beginning. And that's pre-sin, guys. And, and then even to this day, that is the, even this gospel message, this invitation, this drawing into a relationship, calling us into a relationship with Christ and with his church. But again, there has to be commitment. There has to be commitment. If, if, if you're in a relationship and there is not commitment on both sides, then who are we fooling, man? That's not a real relationship. If, there is not, if you're in a marriage and there's not commitment on both sides, if you're in a relationship with a friend or a co- whatever, if, you're, if there's not commitment on both sides, that's not a real relationship. That is one person just trying to use another person which is exactly what the Israelites would do to God time and time and time again because they didn't want relationship. They didn't want to make the commitment. They just wanted what God had to offer. They wanted to use him. But here they are. They're, they're in their self-made pits. They go to this dude, essentially a gangster boss. They are so desperate. Jeff, this dude that they hated, ask him to save them. They agree. They make this commitment. Again, raise him up as their leader. They commit to Jephthah even more than they would have committed to God. So Jephthah is their leader at this point in time. And so what happens, Jephthah, he's their leader. He sends out these messages to the Ammonite king, right? And he sends these messages out, and, and I'm going to just kind of paraphrase here real quick. So, so he sends these messages out, and, and what he says is something to the effect of, look, look, we did nothing wrong, okay? Uh, there's nothing against us, and so you guys need to back off. You need to leave us. You need to leave the Israelites alone. You know, I'm, 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 I'm in control now. You need to leave us alone, okay, because we didn't do anything wrong. And if you don't, bad things are going to happen, okay? And, of course, the Ammonite king, he, he doesn't want to have anything to do with it. He's like, uh-uh, that, that ain't going to fly. And so Jephthah and his boys, they are ready to do some damage. They're ready to go to work. They're ready to do some damage. And so let's keep on going. Check out what happens next. Verse 29, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah, who traveled through Gilead and Manasseh, and then through Mizpah of Gilead. He crossed over to the Ammonites from Mizpah of Gilead. Jephthah made this vow to the Lord. Check out what he said. If you, in fact, hand over the Ammonites to me, whoever comes out of the doors of my house to greet me when I return safely from the Ammonites will belong to the Lord, and I will offer that person as a burnt offering. 
So first off, the beginning of this text, man, this is Jephthah and his boys. They're ready to go. They're ready to do some damage, and everything's looking great. It says the Spirit of the Lord comes on this, dude. And by the way, when you see the Spirit of the Lord comes on somebody, when you see that in a text somewhere, that means, man, it is a done deal. That means that God is going to be fighting through that person on that person's behalf and on the entire nation of Israel's behalf. So no matter who they come up against, no matter how big and bad that army is, they are done for, right? So this text, it starts off with a bang. It's like, dude, this is a done deal. They have got this uh, wrapped up. They've got the victory because God is going to be fighting on their behalf. But then all of a sudden, as we keep on reading, that text goes downhill very quickly and very, very badly. Because as we read that text, what we soon find out is even though Jephthah has a basic understanding of saving grace, and by the way, you can fast forward to the other end of the Bible, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews 11. He's actually saved. So he has a basic understanding of saving grace. This dude definitely does not understand the implications of grace. In other words, he has a basic level theology, but overall his theology is extremely weak. Extremely weak. Which leads him to make this extremely dumb, horrible, horrible promise, this, this vow to God that he never needed to make. This vow that, hey God, if you will give me the victory, if you'll give me the victory then and bring me back home safe, as soon as I get back home, the first person that comes out of my door, no matter who it is, they belong to you, and I will offer them as a human sacrifice. The big problem with this is God hates human sacrifices. That, that is detestable to him. That is disgusting to him. He wants nothing to do with that whatsoever. In fact, Jephthah is actually treating God like all of the other pagans around Israel that would offer these human sacrifices and even child sacrifices to their pagan false gods and idols. All because of his weak theology, his misunderstanding about who God truly is. Because we have to understand that our weak theology, it leads us to do extremely dumb things. Weak theology, it completely corrupts our understanding about who God is, what he's done for us, and who he calls us to be. And in turn, it corrupts our way of thinking, and it corrupts our, our way of acting, everything that we do. And it leads us to become reactive to our situations and our circumstances in life, rather than, catch this, rather than being responsive to Christ and to his will in our life. And when our understanding, really our, our relationship with Christ and with his church is not strong, when it's weak, when that understanding of who God is, that theology, that, and that relationship with Christ and with his church, when that is weak, guys, hear me on this, it will cause us to find strength in other places. It'll cause us to find strength in other places. What does that mean? That means things like, for example, getting advice. Rather than going to God, to, to his church, and, and getting advice, we'll go to all kinds of different places and taking on advice, too, that a lot of times we think it, it's great, but it can completely contradict the gospel. Or we'll start taking on different forms, different worldviews, religions, without even knowing, again, that, that completely contradict the gospel, and we do it all the time. When we are weak, it leads us to, to find strength in other places. It makes us very vulnerable to the outside world. And we start taking on things that we had no clue completely contradict the gospel. And guys, listen, we have to understand something. This is foundational, foundational. The gospel message of Jesus Christ 
is not just a story about Jesus Christ dying on a cross in our place to give us a one-way ticket to heaven. That is not all that the gospel is about. It's about so much more than that. It's about an invitation into a relationship, a relationship again with Christ and a relationship with his church. And just like any other relationship, man, we have to grow in it. And we have to nurture that relationship. And as we grow in that relationship, we'll learn more about him, more about his church, and then we will also start experiencing these things that we read about in the Bible, experiencing the provision of God, experiencing blessings from God, experiencing his grace and his love in fresh new ways. But we have to be willing to commit to that relationship. Let's keep on going in this text. Judges uh, chapter 11, verse 32, it says, Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord handed them over to him. So this is an extremely quick, very undramatic way of saying God took over and the Israelites kicked butt. That's basically what this is saying. We only have a couple of verses, and so we don't know all the backstory of everything that happened in this battle, unlike some of these other battles where it'll give us a big description. Basically, God took over, Israelites kicked butt, they got the victory. And so Jephthah is revered as this hero, this dude that like took down the Ammonites, even though it was really God working through Jephthah, right? He gets the credit for this as the leader. But remember, remember what Jephthah did before he left. Remember the promise, the vow that he made to God. God, if you'll give me the victory, and the first person that comes out of my door when I get home, that person's yours. I'll sacrifice them to you as a burnt offering, as a human sacrifice. And again, he didn't need to do this. Just is doing this because he's trying to earn God's acceptance. He's trying to earn God's favor. He's essentially adopted this, this like works-based salvation type of mindset because of his weak theology. And check out what it leads him to do next. Verse 34. When Jephthah went to his home in Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with tambourines and dancing. She was his only child. He had no other son or daughter besides her. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, No, not my daughter. You have devastated me. You have brought great misery on me. I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. Guys, because of his dude's weak theology, he makes this dumb promise to God. This dumb promise to God that he never needed to make. God never wanted him to make this promise. And he definitely never wanted him to go through with this. And if he had more than just a surface-level understanding of who God truly is, he would have never dreamed of making that kind of promise and he definitely, he definitely would have never dreamed of actually carrying through with it, ever. But again, weak theology, a misunderstanding about who God truly is, it leads us, every single time, it leads us to do horribly dumb things. And so now the repercussions of this man's misunderstanding about who God truly is, his superficial level theology, understanding about God, the repercussions of that are now coming back to haunt him in the worst possible way imaginable. As he gets home and his baby girl, his only child comes out to greet him. 
and this little girl. A lot of times we skim past this and it's just like, you know, the human emotion side of it. We just don't even think about it. But guys, listen to me. If you think about this, this is his baby girl. And this little girl, theologians say, probably around eight years old, maybe a little older. My little girl is six, couple years older, comes out and, and she's, she's probably missed her daddy so much probably even like cried tears at night, missing him, maybe even praying, God, protect my daddy, bring him back home. And then she hears, okay, hey, daddy's, daddy's home, he's in town, they're safe, and she's probably waiting by the door, just waiting for him to come up, and, and then she's gonna run out there and meet him, she can't wait. And then she sees him off in the distance, she sprints out with these tambourines, she's dancing, she's playing these tambourines, shaking them, and she's singing songs to her daddy, to her daddy. Because she is so excited to see him. What's Jephthah doing? This guy's in agony. He's in absolute misery and hell. Because he believes that he now has no choice other than to sacrifice his little girl. All because, guys, catch me on this, all because of his weak theology. He doesn't need to do this. He didn't need to make the promise. He definitely did not need to carry this out. But he believes that he has no choice whatsoever. And then look what happens next. We're going to wrap this story up, which really it's more of a tragedy at this point, with verses 36 through 40. It says, Then she said to him, this is his little girl talking to him, My father, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me as you have said. For the Lord brought vengeance on your enemies, the Ammonites. She also said to her father, let me do this one thing. Let me wander two months through the mountains with my friends and mourn my virginity. Go, he said. And he sent her away two months. She left with her friends and mourned her virginity as she wandered through the mountains. At the end of the two months, she returned to her father and he kept the vow he had made about her. And she had never been intimate with a man. Now it became a custom in Israel that four days each year, the young women of Israel would commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. Because Jephthah's weak theology, his misunderstanding about who God truly is, led his entire family astray. Completely destroyed his family. And let his daughter, do you see what his daughter did? It corrupted her view, his little baby girl's view of God, so much so that she encouraged her daddy to go through with the sacrifice. He completely destroyed his family. And his weak theology didn't stop there. Because we're not going to read it, but if go back and read it yourself. As you keep on going down the line through his story, this dude, his weak theology leads him to do some horrible, atrocious things to, to his own people. To his own nation, man. Like he literally has thousands of people slaughtered and he causes so much disunity, not just in his family, in his own home, but in his own nation, man. And so you get to the end of his life and it says that he served for six years. He led the nation of Israel for six years. But notice there's absolutely no mention of peace whatsoever, not once in the entire story of Jephthah's life. Not once. And that's something that we see, even with, I mean, all these other guys that God raised up, and they were messed up, they did dumb things, but every time God would raise somebody up, a judge, a deliverer, to save the people again, thus the name of the book, Judges, then you would see, okay, they, they, they ruled in the nation of Israel for this amount of time, and there was peace in the land. There was peace in the land, there's peace in the land, there's peace in the land. You get to Jephthah's story, no peace to be seen. None. 
Why is that? Because of this man's weak theology, his misunderstanding about God that led him to do horrible, horrible, atrocious things. See, Jephthah may have had a basic understanding of saving grace. And again, we get to Hebrews chapter 11, go check it out. This dude was saved. He may have had a basic understanding of of saving grace, but when it came to the implications of grace, this dude barely even scratched the surface. And, And the unfortunate truth is, the sad reality is for so many of us as Christians, so many of us that would associate ourselves as followers of Christ, And the church today, Jephthah is a picture of so many of us who have this basic surface level understanding maybe of saving grace. But when it comes to the implications of grace, so many of us have even scratched the surface, guys. And we're never going to grow in that theology and that understanding of who God is until, catch this, until we honestly commit to the relationship with Christ and his church and grow in that relationship because the truth about it is I could come up here I could tell you about God I could tell you about the gospel I could tell you about the church we could have all these different church services all throughout the month five times a day but until you willingly step out willingly step out on your own and make that commitment to Christ and to his church then here's the thing you'll never be able to experience that knowledge you'll never be able to experience it for yourself and you can go back to the Bible, you can, you can read all these stories of God's provision and his love and his grace and how he radically transformed people's lives and scales falling off people's eyes and now they see, you know, Paul's story, all these radical transformation stories. And the supernatural provision time and time again, you can hear testimonies from other people. God did this in my life. It's, it's amazing what he did and he, and he keeps on doing it. And we can keep on hearing these things, but guys, listen to me. You're never going to experience the grace, the mercy, the love, forgiveness, supernatural provision, and the transforming power of Jesus Christ until we willingly step out and honestly commit to that relationship. And so what I want us to do, I want to I end in a very similar way that we ended last week. And I want to encourage you, no matter where you're at in your life, man, to commit to the relationship to commit to that relationship. Masks off, let's be real, man. Just commit to that relationship with Christ and with his church. And as the worship team um, comes up, I'm gonna encourage you guys to come on up. I just wanna encourage you to, to reach out, to pray to him. All praying is doing it, it. All we're doing when we pray is just talking to him. We're just talking to him, man. And Jeremiah 29, 12 says that we will pray to him and he will listen to us. And 13 says that, that um, we, we will seek him and we will find him when we seek him with all of our hearts. And so it's not about being perfect. Man, Jesus was perfect in our place. It's not about being perfect. This is simply about responding. The word tells us that he stands at the door and he knocks and he waits patiently. And so maybe your response today is maybe you're here today and you've never responded to the gospel. If you're like, dude, I've never actually made that commitment. I've never made that response to Jesus and that relationship with him. And maybe that's your commitment. And man, if that's you today, then the book of Acts outlines two responses, two responses to this. And again, it's not about what we've done. It's about what Jesus has done in our place. And so we respond by first repentance. 
And that word repentance, all it means is just turning away from the things that we've tried to look to as God, even maybe ourselves, putting ourselves up on that pedestal in the place of God and just saying, Jesus, I'm broken, man. I can't do this. I'm sinful. I know I am jacked up and I need your help. I need your help. And I know you're the only one that can save me. And just responding to him as the only Lord and Savior of your life. And maybe that's your response or something else that we take very seriously here too is baptism. Baptism, it's the outward sign of an internal transformation, what God has done for us. And I've, I've said it like this before, it's almost like when you think about a wedding ceremony, it's like the ring in the wedding ceremony when it's placed on the finger. And it doesn't make you marry, just like baptism doesn't make you, doesn't save you, no power in the water, but it's this powerful symbol. The fact that you belong to Jesus Christ, and it's a command from Jesus. And so maybe that's your, maybe that's your response, maybe that's your commitment today, or for those of us, maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I've, I've done that. I've been down that road. I've, I've made that response. I've, you know, been baptized. And maybe your commitment is just some area in your life where maybe you're putting something else in the pedestal. You're going back to putting different things in the pedestal in the place of God. Maybe it's work or finances. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's these worries and struggles in life that are mounting up so much so that you've put God kind of back on the back burner over here. Whatever it is, every single one of us, hear me on this, every single one of us can commit in some way. Every single one of us can respond in some way. It's not just an invitation to salvation, although, yes, that is insanely important. Every single one of us can respond. So, so as we sing this last song, I want to encourage every single one of us, no matter what that is, don't wait. He loves you so much. He's standing there with arms open wide. You respond altar's open i'd love to talk with you there's a prayer team uh, if you come up you want prayer there's a prayer team that would love to pray with you so as we sing you respond guys first off i just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon and uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally you go to another church maybe you don't even live here um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me, what do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. 
Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's the symbol of death to the old self and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Uh, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.